Hey, this is Chuck, and you are listening to Fans with Bands, the podcast where we talk to the fans and the bands they dig about life, music, and whatever the hell else we want to talk about. Today on Fans with Bands, we're talking to Brian from Halloween, the heavy metal horror show. Check it out. Hey, this is Chuck with Fans with Bands, and I'm talking to Brian, the lead vocalist for the legendary Halloween. How you doing, Brian? Good, man. How you doing, Chuck? I'm doing great. So I am. Uh, I was. I was trying to think back. I think it might have been uh, 1985 or maybe 86. I uh, drove with some friends out to Rock of Ages in Garden City, and I picked up this cassette by a band called Halloween, and I was like, "Holy crap, this is fucking awesome!" And I think I got the vinyl um, around the same time or shortly after. Um, but I've been a fan ever since. So. Thank you. That's right about when it came out, too. <laughs> the vinyl came out, I think, summer of 85. Okay. Yeah. There were a couple of cassette versions that came out first. We we had a few stumbles trying to get it like professionally done, which still never happened. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we put it out first on like our own. We had a, a guy that uh, our manager knew named LR and he had a print shop and it was taking too long. And we had already me jumping the gun. I had already announced, yeah, our new album's coming out and then delays and problems. And just, you know how the business is when you're a teenager, you don't know how the business is. (laughs) And I'm up on stage holding stuff up and going, yeah, yeah, our album's coming out. And then it's going to be a year and whatnot. So we had to hurry up and we went and we duplicated a bunch of cassette tapes and had this printer print out like a cassette uh, jacket or whatever. Yeah. And and we put that out. There's a bunch of those floating around. I guess they, they go for some serious money nowadays because <laughs> uh, a couple hundred of them made. But that oh, was sure. just our attempt to keep from looking like liars. <laughs> and then the actual vinyl came out and there was a de- delay on the official cassette release. So that came out like... I think that was like probably another six, eight months after the vinyl came out. Oh, really? Wow, crazy, crazy. We we were always trying to save a dollar because we were broke ass, <laughs> you know, rock and roll guys, and right. uh, saving a dollar sometimes cost us more in headache than, uh, <laughs> than it was worth. But <laughs> so Halloween celebrated forty years this year, right? Can you believe it? I can't I know. believe it. I can't believe I've been alive forty years. I'm, I'm like. A, <laughs> teenager going on (laughs) (laughs) i think it's amazing i mean uh the the music that you guys have created over those 40 years is is timeless i mean i i still regularly listen to don't meddle with evil um still check out you know uh no one gets out still you know and then go into the newer stuff that you guys have uh i think what was it territory Um, yeah Oh my God, the new the new mix of territory is. I'm finally. I mean, I know that around the world people love "Don't Meddle with Evil," and me being very self-critical, I know that we did it on a a really tight budget, and we didn't know what the hell we were doing. And uh, like when people tell me that they love it, I'm confused because I listen to the quality of it. And I think, oh, my God, you know, like heavy metal is supposed to like punch you in the face. And, yeah. you know, and I feel like it didn't get the proper production. And I mean, me and George go around and around, not really arguing, but kind of sparring over me wanting to redo that album with modern technology and with the the balls that it that it could have. I love every song on the album. I, yeah. I think they're great songs. But I just feel like, you know, it needs to it needs to have a little more kick to it. And George will say, well, you know, the fans like it the way it is. And I'm like, well, I don't want to take that away. I'd look like to put out like a double album or whatever. Yeah. It has then and now. And then people can listen to whichever one they want, you know. Right. Um, But Territory, the new mix that TJ did, mind blowingly good. And uh, and like I'm finally proud of something that I've recorded after like <laughs> eleven albums because I've done I did one with Siren I did one and a demo with Abandon um, we did one and a half with Ass and then like eight albums with Halloween 
And for me, territory is like the best sounding of, of all of them. And plus, you know, like over the years, we evolved a little bit and, you know, and uh, we never tried to be like anybody, but we were influenced by everything that's out there. I mean, when we first started out, uh, Rick Craig was influenced by Randy Rhodes and Eddie Van Halen. And I was influenced by bands that I came up seeing on the bar scene in New Jersey where I grew up. Uh-huh. And in fact, What a Nice Place is a cover song by a, a local bar band out from Long Island, uh, Salty Dog. And so that was my early influence was going to see Salty Dog and Days and like all these all these bands that I saw in the clubs when I was first old enough to go into the clubs. And I had a television show similar to what MTV became when they still played music. Um, I had a local cable show where I, I would try to get videos from the record labels to play on the show. And there really were none at the time, like Alice Cooper's welcome to my nightmare movie yeah. that got sent to me and a handful of videos when it was just still like a, a baby, baby step thing. And uh, so what I would do, I'd go and I'd cut up all my circus and cream magazines and hit parader and <laughs> wherever I could find pictures of metal bands. Yeah. And then I would go into the studio and I, I would play the records and I would have two cameras that would just do fades in and out of, of all this stuff. Awesome. So when I was able to finally take the cameras out and go into the clubs, that's when I discovered salty dog and, and baby blue and, and days and all the in fact days was a, a local band that was managed by tom wally who ended up being like the top a and r guy he might even be the president of capitol records by now and he was just a local nobody in the you know jersey yeah. shore scene <laughs> and, but so i discovered salty dog and i was i became friends with them after putting them on my tv show and uh and i was there when they were writing and rehearsing they had a really cool band house on the on the beach in new jersey in uh i think it was lava ladder like point pleasant beach and so when uh when they broke up after um some of the members left and whatnot and I, what a nice place always stuck in my head and I, I asked the guys i said hey would it be cool eddie jelly and paul veneer were the two writers and I said, would it be all right if, if I covered that band, you know, with, with my or that song with my band Halloween? And they were like, oh, yeah, that would be awesome. And then we recorded it. And most of the people don't even realize that it's a cover song. They think But so I've always been influenced by by these other bands. And when Pantera and Slayer and Metallica started coming up, it was just a natural progression for me to uh, to kind of just add some heaviness to what we were doing right. and probably because like i said about the the production on don't Metal with evil i felt like it it really needed something and then then a year later we went and we recorded victims of the night with um with pete bankard out at the schoolhouse in ann oh, arbor yeah. yeah and we didn't get that kick in the gut from that <laughs> album either and so i think by the time we recorded vicious demo and no one gets out I was longing for that, that like aggression, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so those songs just kind of naturally progressed. And, uh, and plus when, when Rick and Bill left and then we got Tommy Stewart who went on to be a rock star seven times over and Billy Gray was in the band. And then, uh, we did the vicious demo, which, which wasn't supposed to be a demo. It was supposed to be an, a full album. Oh, okay. Um, but we ended up going on tour with Crimson Glory and we didn't have anything new with the current guys. So we just grabbed five of the songs that we recorded and put out a cassette and called it Vicious Demo. But we had like a whole plan for that. There's, I think there's like six or seven, at least five other songs that were supposed to go on that. And it was going to be called Vicious Demonstration. And it was around the time when all the uh, church groups and the government oh, was yeah. you know, shitting all over heavy metal <laughs> bands. And so what it was going to be, it was going to be a bunch of long-haired heavy metal dudes with picket scenes <laughs> outside of a church <laughs> where the preacher was like burning records and whatnot. And that oh, awesome. was going to be the album cover. But we had to hurry up and put something out, so we just shortened it to Vicious Demo and put those five songs out. And then uh, after that tour... Um, 
Tommy wanted to, you know, make some money and he joined Cody Lee, uh, up in Flint where he was from and they went out and they did like the, the, you know, like the cover band, cla- you know, the, the mm-hmm. yeah. class A circuit or whatever. And, uh, and shit, Jeff Lando from uh, Vince Neil and Slaughter was, was the guitar player in, in Cody Lee. And they were playing a show in, uh, in Atlanta at the Metroplex and they opened for Lillian Axe. And uh, Lillian Axe had just started a tour and Gene Barrett, their drummer, left the band to go join John Oliva's uh, Dr. Butcher band. Oh, wow. And so they asked Tommy right on the spot. They saw how good of a drummer it was. They asked him, hey, do you want to finish this tour with us? Because our drummer just split and we just started (laughs) the tour and he just like up and left us in the middle of the tour. Oh, my God. Tommy left Cody Lee and went on and was in Lillian Axe. And then he was a founding member of Godsmack. And so, you know, we were always proud that he started <laughs> with, you know, local Flint bands and then Halloween. Yeah. But then we were back to the drawing board because right after he left, uh, Billy ended up taking a leave of absence and we got Donnie Allen and Tim Wright. And I mean, they were like just slammers. Tim was into Slayer. Yeah. And uh, Donnie was into obituary and bands like that. So of course the music got heavier and, and because I'm a fan of anything that rocks, you know, (laughs) along with it. Right. Right. Yeah. So we kind of progressed along the way, but you know, in the last two albums, territory and horror fire, we also didn't forget our roots. We brought back songs like caught in the webs. That's on territory was one of the first songs that Halloween ever did like back in the early eighties. Oh, really? Um, and on horror fire, same with nobody's home and candles. Um, so, you know, we would bring songs from back then and kind of, you know, bring them into, into the current albums just to yeah. kind of keep it true. Yeah. That's awesome. So I, I don't know this story and I'm hoping you can tell me. So how did Halloween start? How did, how did the band get formed? Well, I was, uh, married to, the mother of my daughter and we were both from the East coast. She was from uh, New York and I was from New Jersey and uh, her family moved to the suburbs in New Jersey to just get away from the city life. And I met her, we both lived in small towns that neighbored each other and uh, her dad worked for general motors in New York city. And right after we started dating, uh, new, uh, General Motors closed down their financial division in Manhattan and moved everybody out here to Michigan to the GM Tech Center in Warren. Oh. And her family was strict Catholics, and they said, well, either you guys break up or get married because you can't come with us and she can't stay unless you're married. So we were kind of forced into getting married, and we weren't really – wanting that or ready for that um but we ended up getting married and uh we stayed in new jersey her family moved out here and i ended up losing my job because of the aforementioned salty dog band um what happened was because they did my show so many times um i checked with my supervisor and i gave them free cable and hbo because i worked for a cable company uh-huh. And then our little mom and pop cable company was sold to Time Warner and the big guns came in and they did an audit of the system. Well, the day that I gave them the free cable, I didn't climb the pole and put a blue tag on their on their drop line saying that they were supposed to have HBO and and, uh, and the full cable service. And this is the early days of cable TV. Yeah, yeah. And um Anyway, uh, they did this audit. And the reason I didn't put the tag on was because we were having a nor'easter storm that day. And I didn't want to put my ladder up. It was really high up on the pole. And I didn't want to climb the pole in my in my hooks because it was just shitty weather. So I left it and forgot about it. Well, when push came to shove, my boss got called in about it. And he had to call me in. And he came to me and he goes, look, he goes, I know that I that I authorized this, 
but they're being, you know, heavy handed about, about cable theft. And so it's either you or me. And I'm like, well, that's not cool. Yeah. And, uh, he goes, I'll, I'll give you a, a, you know, a good recommendation wherever you go, but it's, you know, I, I can't keep you here. Yeah. And I'm like, but I didn't do anything wrong. Anyway, I lost my job, which sucked. Cause I, I was moving up the ladder. I went from just being a lowly installer to kind of a local celebrity on my TV show. Like I said, I was doing yeah. MTV before MTV. And, uh, and then I moved up to like a technician and then I was on a construction crew and, uh, and boom, now my job's gone. Well, my ex-wife was making $800 a month phone calls to her mom every day back <laughs> when you didn't yeah. have free calling. You know? <laughs> and, uh, I ended up getting another job at another cable company and I got laid off there and I'm like, well, I can't, I can't keep doing this. And so we looked into moving to Michigan and I, and because of kiss writing Detroit rock city, I thought, well, if kiss wrote a song about it, it's gotta be a cool place. So boom, we packed up a U-Haul and moved out here and ended up living with her family until neither one of us could take it anymore. And then, uh, we split up several times. And one of the times that we tried to get back together, she ended up, in fact, not to get too graphic, but I know the night that my daughter was conceived, it was the night of Kiss, Cheap Trick, and New England at Pontiac Silverdome. Awesome. And the way I know that is because the only time that her and I were together, and the math adds up because that was July 13th, and she was born April 30th the following year. And I'm like, yep, nine months on a button. <laughs> and uh, it never worked out. We tried a couple of times to make it work for our daughter, but we just weren't meant to be together. And, um, uh, so here I am in Detroit, you know, with a new baby and, and going through a divorce. And I ended up in a band called Mesmerized out in Shelby Township. And from that, um, I ended up in a band Alcatraz and Rick Craig and Mark Scott, who was Halloween's, well, yeah, bitch and Halloween's first drummer. They saw me sing with, with Alcatraz at the Ritz in Roseville. And they were like, we're putting a band together and you are our front man. Awesome. So the three of us set out to find a drummer and a, uh, and a bass player. And we got this guy named Ed Payton, who had just moved back from L.A. and played with Rat and Dokken and all these bands that were from the L.A. scene right. when they weren't even signed yet. They were just bar bands in L.A. And he was in and out of all these bands. In fact, um, when we when he started playing with Bitch, he brought a copy of the first Dokken album, which was a French import, and it had uh, it had the studio version of Paris is Burning on it. Oh wow! And, uh, and we learned Breaking the Chains, and we were playing it before <laughs> like a year before it came out here in the states. A year and a half, I think it was. <laughs> And so Ed was our bass player. And then we got this guy named Phil Caput that came out and auditioned. And he was a really nice guy, but he didn't fit the band. He, he couldn't play our style. He was more of like an ACDC. He was yeah. like an in-the-pocket drummer, but he wasn't ready for double bass and, and heavier stuff. But he brought us food, and we were living in a basement with hardly any food and he brought us all mcdonald's so even though he didn't get the gig we couldn't tell him that night because his mom <laughs> dropped him and all of his drums off so he ended up in the band for two days because he fed us and we felt really bad <laughs> but, but next up was chuck burns from seduce oh yeah mickey st Clair was still playing drums for seduce at that time and chuck and mickey were roommates and uh and chuck came out and auditioned he he actually got the gig and was our first drummer and we were rehearsing getting ready to play shows and uh we went to see a band at the falcon lounge and ronnie vanderlip who ended up being the lead singer for heaven's wish was a drummer back then and he had like the full john bonham the clear orange ludwig drums oh, yeah big kettle drums yeah he had the whole bottom kit <laughs> anyway he was a big shit talker back then and him and rick knew each other from the you know growing up well not growing up but hanging out on the east side 
and uh, Ronnie saw us, had seen us rehearse and uh, went around the bar telling everybody that he was going to be our new drummer. <laughs> the people that he told was Chuck. Nobody told him he was going to be our drummer. So the next rehearsal, Chuck came over to practice and he wouldn't talk to any of us. And we're like, dude, what's up? He wouldn't say a word. He started taking his drums out and we're like, what is going on right now? He never told us. Oh, really? It, it took us months to figure out what was going on. And wouldn't you know it, because now we need a drummer, Rick calls his buddy Ronnie Vanderlip. So Ronnie ends up in the band, which makes Chuck think that that was the, the True, plan. Yeah. Like, who in their right mind would fire Chuck Burns? Yeah. Right? But that's, that's how that went down. Oh, that's crazy. Before Chuck left, we talked about band names, and uh, I had pictures of naked girls from Hustler and Playboy and all that all over the walls of this basement. And then it was towards the end of October, so I hang Halloween decorations all over the place. So when people would come over to see us rehearse, it looked like a stage show. Yeah. And even uh, when we when we picked the name, Rick says, "Well, it's it's October. You got all this all these decorations up. Why don't we call the band Halloween?" Well, Chuck said no because he knew that Seduce was writing a song called Halloween, and he goes, "Well, how's that, how's that going to look?" Look, if uh, I go back and tell Mickey that, yeah, we named the band Halloween right <laughs> after they started writing the song Halloween. So he flat out was completely against it. And uh, one day we were walking through Hazel Park and Mark, um, who ended up being our drummer for a short time, but he was uh, playing guitar. It was him and Rick on guitars as a duo. Um but he was equally talented on guitar and drums. And when we kept going through drummers, he ended up being our first drummer. But we were walking through Hazel Park, and, dude, we used to walk around with our hair ratted up, <laughs> on jewelry, makeup, and we're walking down uh, John R., and this pickup truck full of rednecks starts honking a horn and whistling out the window, thinking we were a, a pack of girls walking down the street. <laughs> And uh, Mark had a mustache, so when they got past us and saw that we were dudes, <laughs> then they then they started yelling fags, and they wanted to turn around and fight us. Yeah. So we got back to the house. Mark says, "Well, shit, why don't we just call the band bitch since we look like girls that would kick your ass?" Which is funny because then Motley Crue said something similar to that years, you know, like right. after that. But, um, so we called the band bitch and. We were uh, we were bitch the heavy metal horror show because of all the Halloween decorations, and uh, after Ronnie was in the band, Randy Gacky played drums, and uh, uh, Chad Smith from Chili Peppers came out and auditioned. And we gave him the gig, but all of his cymbals were broke, and he lived in Pontiac. And his mom brought him down to the audition, and he loved us. And we, I mean, dude, he was a monster on the drums. Yeah. And we were like, well, how do we make this work? And he's like, I don't know. And I think he thought we were going to like, you know, like throw some money in to yeah. help him buy symbols and get a ride or something. But we were broke as hell. So we, <laughs> we couldn't do anything. And so that didn't work out. And like a month later, he ended up in Toby Red. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. Um, and then at one point, like after we were Halloween, me and George were at some somebody's party after a show. And uh, they had the Tonight Show on. And Jay, Jay Leno was like, uh, put your hands together for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And so we're watching. They're doing higher ground. And I'm like, holy shit. Chad's playing drums for the rest of this band on The Tonight Show. You couldn't believe it. It was so awesome. Yeah. Um, That's crazy. So anyway, we were bitch for almost a year. And then bitch in L.A. came out. And yeah. we're like, well, fuck, now we got to change the name. And we said, well, Chuck ain't playing with us no more. <laughs> Fuck it, let's just go with our original choice, Halloween. So, because uh, we're like, we know that we weren't trying to steal Seduce's idea. Right. So, um, we decided to change the name, but instead of telling everybody that we were going to change the name, we told everybody that Bitch was going away. And so, we, we booked a show at the Falcon as the final show for Bitch. 
and we had a pretty good following. We, we had started to get like a good crowd mm-hmm. and, uh, and everybody was bummed out that we were going to break up and yeah, they, they <laughs> fell right into our trap because what we did, we had, uh, we had a brand new Halloween banner behind the bitch backdrop and we booked the show on Halloween, but we didn't go on until midnight every night. So we we're like, well, we want to become Halloween on Halloween. So we made sure that we went on stage at two minutes to midnight. <laughs> and again, this was before Iron Maiden came out with that album. And, uh, and I got on the mic and I said, well, I know you guys are bummed out that, that you know, we're not going to be playing around anymore as bitch. I go, but from now on, we're called Halloween. We ripped down the bitch backdrop and we started the show. We became Halloween on stage on Halloween night and haven't Damn. let her put off the gas since. That's awesome. That is so awesome. So 40 years and you guys, so this year you've been doing, a, I mean, you've, the, the band's been, you know, working for, for a long period of time, but this year you've been doing a lot, bunch of different celebrations. You've had uh, recently like fan jam. You did, you guys were out in Germany. You were doing, you did a show in Mexico. Um, well, the Mexico show didn't happen. Oh, it didn't. No. And oh. uh, I wish it had, but um, I'll get into that a little bit in a second, but yeah, we did Germany. We did halfway to Halloween at the token because we wanted to do one on each side. Yeah. Um, then we did the 40th anniversary at Harpo's, Harpo's and then we just did two nights fan jam this past weekend. What happened with the Mexico show, we were scheduled to play a festival in Mexico last year. And, uh, the Mexican government was still dealing with COVID restrictions and the promoter, uh, got in touch with us and said that they capped their attendance for the festival at 300 people. Um, we saw a video and there was more like 3000 people there. But I think what they did was they capped the pre-sales at 300 people and they weren't sure who was going to turn up at the door. And they ended up canceling us. And I believe it was two other American bands because they said, well, you know, we can't afford to pay all these bands if we don't get, you know, the people through the door. Right. And we started getting, letters from fans in South America and Mexico that were looking forward to coming to see us. And they, they were told that we canceled, but we didn't cancel. And so, uh, at the end of last year, this new promoter got in touch with us and said, look, we, we heard about what happened, you know, in the summertime, how you guys, uh, were, uh, postponed, from playing that festival you know they never said that we weren't going to come back and do something else with them but we haven't heard from them again and so they said well we want to do it right we want to have you guys we're going to do a festival it's called uh, life after death horror fest and it's going to be not only heavy metal bands but it's going to be three days of heavy metal bands and we're going to bring in uh actors from horror movies and we're going to have like a haunted house and, you know, an art show and all this stuff that was going to go with it. And, uh, you know, and they told us some of the bands that were going to play and originally sabotage Danzig ministry and Queensryche were the first four bands that they told us. And then they added Alice Cooper. So that was the five bands that were supposed to play it. I don't know what happened with Sabotage and Danzig and Ministry um, because we looked at tour schedules and all of those bands were on tour and were available to go to Mexico. So I don't know if there was like a, a price thing. Yeah. And uh, Sabotage has a new album coming out in the spring. So it only made sense that they would do a show or a tour right. to promote the new album. And we figured... You know, I, I think I know what happened with Sabotage because it, it got moved to December and that's when TSO is touring for all the yeah. Christmas stuff. Yeah. So that probably complicated it. But I don't know what happened with Danzig and Ministry. But anyway, I mean, we were thrilled that Alice Cooper was going to do it. And so, you know, we're getting closer and closer to the date. Um, Rob, our drummer, uh, never got vaccinated for COVID. Neither did I. 
but he adamantly said he was not going to get the vaccine. And I said, right. well, I'm not going to get it unless I absolutely have to. And they slowly started backing off on the restrictions. That's how we were able to go to Germany in April. Um, but it was too late. Rob's passport had expired. So we took Jason Hartless uh, with us, Ted Nugent's yeah. former, and the guy that you jammed with when you came out to, to play with Massive Heart Attack, which became ass. Yeah. Um, and he was just a kid at the time. Now he's like a full grown <laughs> rock star. Um, but we took Jason with us. And uh, and Jason was going to go and play this Mexico show, too, because some weird shit happened. We had a backup drummer, Chris Buchak, and there was a pretty huge misunderstanding with him. And he ended up quitting and hating us. And, you know, somehow we're always the bad guys. But um, we ended up with uh, Johnny V. I don't know if you know him. He's been in a zillion bands, but we oh, had yeah. him yeah. as a backup to Rob. And, uh, but he's still learning songs and wasn't ready to go. And Jason is best friends with, well, one of his best friends is Casey Grillo from Camelot, who's playing drums for Queensryche. And we were going to be on the same day with Queensryche and Alice Cooper. So Jason was like, Hey, I would love to go and do that show. So we were right. going to take him and Johnny was going to go too. And we might've thrown Johnny up to do a song or two but he wasn't ready to do like the full show. Was, yeah. And plus it doesn't hurt your resume to have Ted Nugent's drummer on board. Right. right. <laughs> um, so we're all set to go. We've got our plane tickets. We've got our motel reservations. It's all good. I believe a week and a half out, we start seeing a bunch of uh, static on the, on the website for uh, the, uh, for the festival. And, um, we're getting closer and closer and we're not hearing any final itinerary. Like we don't even know how long our set is or right. what time we go on or what the transportation situation is. Plus we wanted to make sure because they were going to fly us in on the 30th of, Dece of uh, November and fly us home on the 5th of December. Well, we were playing on the second. So now we're going to be in Mexico for five days. Right. They were only going to feed us the day of our performance and drive us to and from the airport and to and from our gig. Well, what are we going to do in Mexico City for five days with no <laughs> yeah. food and no way around? Right. So we got in touch with the promoter and we said, well, look, we'd like to at least go and see the other two days of the festival. I mean, that's the least you can do, you know, right, Yeah. We're back. So we're not just sitting in a hotel room and they agreed to do that. And then the very next day we got a message saying that, um, the festival had moved from one location that they were going to do it at, which does festivals all the time, but they were expecting 50,000 people at, at our festival. And I guess the people, the locals, didn't like the idea of a festival that big in their neighborhood and the, uh, you know, the commotion. Yeah. So it got moved to a different site and the government told them that it would be ready by December and just speculation on my part. I think somebody didn't pay somebody off because all of a sudden the site is still under renovation. It's not ready. Oh. And so the whole thing was postponed. <laughs> and I mean, you know, we figured we were just kind of getting, you know, put on the back burner because we're not Alice Cooper or Wasp right. or right. Lee Ford or whatever. But it turns out that like everybody, you know, kind of yeah. got screwed. Oh, and man. Um, so now they're talking about uh, rescheduling it, but trying to get all of those acts. They don't want to lose anybody. They already paid deposits to all of us. Oh. And, uh, and they asked us, well, if we have to break it up into like 10 different shows, what is your preference? And, and I told our agent, Debbie, I said, you know, we want Alice Cooper and Lizzie Borden or, you know, I mean, not yeah. nothing. We'll we'll do whatever. But that was like the feather in our cap is to play with Alice Cooper right. and to play for fans in Mexico and South America, because we have a lot of people down there that follow the band. And, uh, you know, and it's like e either that or get us on with Wasp and not to sound, uh, you know, egotistical or whatever, but it's like almost every other band on that festival could potentially come to 
Harpo's or the Token Lounge or Diesel or whatever. Right. And it might take a little arm twisting, but I think that if we picked up the phone and showed the flyer that we were supposed to play with these bands, we could probably get on a show with just about any of those other bands. Yeah. I mean, Halloween already played with Lita Ford. We already played with Doro. We played with Armored Saint. We played with Lizzie Borden. So, and we played with Queensryche two or three times. So, you know, the appeal was Alice Cooper, KK's Priest, Wasp. Yeah. Um, and so that's what we would like to do, but we're, we're waiting to hear waiting back. Waiting to hear back. We don't know if it's going to be a festival or, or a smaller show, but so uh, that, that got delayed. And I know we postponed this interview till after that so we could talk about it. <laughs> when, when I'm talking and then it didn't, it, yeah. As it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> the Germany oh. was awesome. Well, yeah, the the, was fun. yeah. So, 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 tell me about Germany. How was that? Have you have you guys been Germany there before? Cool. We first went over there in two thousand four, and did keep it true when it was only I think it was only the third year of the festival. Uh-huh. It was uh, it was one day, and uh, now it's three days, and uh, no, actually it's four days now because they do like a pre-show festival on Thursday. Um, and it, it was very cool. I mean, we got to play with Sodom, which was one of TJ's favorite bands. And uh, we met um, a lot of really cool bands that are like kind of up and coming. Yeah. Um, we hung out with the guys from Fifth Angel. They were at the same hotel with us. And, you know, I was a big fan of them. I was bummed that we didn't get to run into Ken Mary because, again, Jason and Ken know each other. They've uh-huh. never met, but they've, they've you know, cross paths and talked online. Right. Um, but it, it, it was really cool. I mean, we played to a, a, a packed house and I mean, it, it, it's fun being in Germany. We toured over there and we played Keep It True in 2004. Then we did uh, Headbangers Open Air in 2007. 2009, we did Sword Brothers Festival. In 2012, we did a little mini tour where we played uh, 12 shows in 12 days. We went to uh, Belgium, the Netherlands, and all over Germany. Awesome. And um, and then now we went back this year That's for fantastic. Keep It True the second time. It, it was great. Excellent. And and uh, looked like, I mean, I think there was video from that because I remember yeah, checking in. And, it's on yeah. YouTube still. If, you know, if you put a link up, people can check it out. Yeah, yeah, I will. I'll, I'll definitely do that in the show notes. And then I saw that uh, Fan Jam. So, so what, what was with what, how was what is the uh, how was that? Fan Jam was something that started in 2003, um, before we went to Germany the first time. I uh, I ended up rupturing a disc in my back, and uh, had to have surgery. And prior to surgery. I think it was August um, of that year. We were offered a show with Damien at Centennial Terrace down in in Toledo in Sylvania. And it was like a comeback show for Damien. And Rob had been Damien's drummer. He played on the Angel Juice album. And so uh, it was kind of a big deal to do it. But I could not stand up and sing. I had like severe pain shooting. Like it, it was like being struck by lightning oh, every time I would like turn the wrong way or sit up or if I try to hit a, a note powerfully. Yeah. Oh my God. It, it was crippling. And, but so the band kept practicing, hoping that somehow we'd be able to do this show because it, it meant a lot, especially to Rob. So they were practicing the music. And I'm laying in bed upstairs in my building in Hazel Park. The apartment was above the practice area. And I realized, wow, I can sing laying down. No problem. (laughs) I can belt out the notes and everything. But I couldn't stand up and do it because of the weight of my body on on my lower back. So we were getting ready to create like a, uh, a graveyard scene so that I could lay down and sing this show and it would still fit with the stage show. Right. Um, and then I went in three times for these epidural shots and the first two didn't work. And the third one was three days before the Damien show. And, uh, 
we never, because I couldn't really do any construction, we didn't build the graveyard thing, but I thought, well, I can lay in a casket and we can, you know, prop yeah. it up somehow. Um, well, it's a good thing that that didn't happen because Damien left us like literally like three, three feet in front of the drums. <laughs> their drum kit was so far forward that we bar I barely had room to stand in front of Rob. Uh, but anyway, the third epidural shot worked and I was able to sing the show and, and pain free. And then like two days later, it was back with a vengeance. It oh, was man. so bad. Um, and so that show happened in August and because of my pain level and I hadn't had surgery yet, um, we couldn't do a Halloween show, our annual show. So what we did was uh, we threw a rehearsal at my building and we invited 50 people on MySpace back then. <laughs> yeah. And like 130 people showed up. <laughs> and uh, we just called it Fan Jam. And we basically played for four hours. It was the kind of thing where uh, everybody was like, well, how about this song? And Rob yeah. would be like, yeah, I can get through that. And then we would we would fumble through it and well, do you know this song? Nope, but fuck it. Let's do it anyway. <laughs> so we, would. we played four hours. We played like everything we could possibly think of. Cover tunes, all the Halloween stuff. Yeah. And Rob was still fairly new in the band at that time. So for him to just like fake his way through most of these things <laughs> was pretty awesome. But um, towards the end, George and I were doing an acoustic song, Take Me, which I still do uh, with my acoustic uh, project. And I look over to my left and in our doorway is like seven Hazel Park cops. <laughs> and I was going to stop the song and they were like, no, 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 keep going. It sounds great. <laughs> so we finished the song and we took a break and I went over and I found out that my landlord, who was also my boss at the strip club that I DJed at, did not have a certificate of occupancy for the building. So when the cops saw all the people milling around outside and all the cars parked nearby they thought it was a rave in a <laughs> vacant building right they had no idea that the entire halloween warehouse was in there and that i was living upstairs <laughs> so uh the cop said well unbelievably this could be the first time in history there's nobody drinking out in the parking lot there's no drugs nobody's pissing on the neighbor's yard <laughs> right. <laughs> like everybody's orderly like how could this possibly be there's like a hundred people milling around your building right and nobody's doing anything wrong so we can't write any tickets however you are going to get a visit from the building inspector the fire marshal the code enforcement guy all this shit and sure enough they showed up the following wednesday and they flagged my building for and i was renting from my you know from my boss I think I had like two electrical outlets that didn't have wall covers on them. Yeah. And there was a sink in one of the bathrooms that was laying on the floor. Somebody had taken it off the wall and, and not put it back on. And there was some drop ceiling in one of the office rooms that, that was not, you know, all yeah. the squares weren't up there and they condemned the fucking building over like five, to, uh, five violations. And my boss, my landlord, said that he wasn't doing anything to fix any of that. And so I'm sitting in my room watching the local cable channel where they are bidding on demolition crews to come and demolish the building that I'm living in. And every piece of Halloween history is in this building. Oh, my God. And week after week. There's people trying to undercut and underbid on the job. And that's the only reason that they didn't give the job out the very first week and demolish it with all my stuff in it. Oh, um, and I managed to talk one of the guys that was uh, on our crew and, and, and managing us at the time. He worked at Triangle Electric in Madison Heights, and they had four empty semi-trailers that normally go out on job sites when they're doing like a, a commercial build. Right. And these semi trailers were all empty and he, uh, paid his boss a little pocket change, you know, side <laughs> yeah, money yeah. to let me put all this stuff. And so the entire Halloween stage show 
and all my personal belongings went into these four unlocked semi-trailers <laughs> in a parking lot in Madison Heights, and they stayed there. And a friend of my daughter, who also happened to be a fan of Halloween, um, lived out in Ypsilanti, and she said that I could come, that she had a spare room, I could come live in the spare room. And then she took out a second mortgage on her house and built this massive garage on her property to bring everything out to. Holy cow. And I ended up moving everything out of these semi-trailers just in time for the garage to be built and just in time before those trailers had to go out on a commercial build. I mean, by the skin of my teeth, I just yeah. barely got everything out. And, oh and uh, Brian, our manager at the time, his boss was, you know, like pushing every day. I need these trucks. I need yeah. these trucks. Yeah. Meanwhile, we're trying to put a roof and, and, and walls on this garage. Slapping <laughs> it up. Come on. Right. And for a little while, we had a lot of our stuff out in her yard, in the backyard, with like blue tarps over top of it. In the wintertime. So there's snow on top of the tarps. Oh, and man. Melted. Like we had a couple of uh, uh, plastic storage totes that had fan mail from Japan and Mexico and Brazil and water got into these storage totes. Oh. I had to lay all these letters from fans out on the grass and the sun <laughs> right. to dry them off. <laughs> and uh, you know, some of the writing was smeared, but I still have the letters. They're here in the building I'm in now. Oh, crazy. Um, but yeah, it was insane. And then I ended up living in Ypsilanti for 11 years. And uh, I thought I was going to be there forever. And this girl was like trying to trying to make us be a couple. And I'm like, look, I'm not interested in a girlfriend. And you're my daughter's friend. And I'm happy just being a roommate here. Right. She kept pushing for the girlfriend thing and trying to make me jealous and she would like go on dates with Razor Ray and like all, all these dudes that I know knew to try to make me jealous. I'm like, look, I don't care if you bang guys on the coffee table in the living room while I'm watching a Lions game. I don't care. I don't want to be your boyfriend. Like I look at you more like a sister, you know? Yeah. Uh, anyway, she ended up writing to some dude that was in prison and ended up marrying the guy. And, uh, and when Crazy. he came along, he wanted me out because, yeah. you know, he didn't want some dude living in the house where, where he just got married to this right. girl. And so I got in touch with Ted Talviti, who I'm sure, you know, also, yeah, he saw a face, a Facebook post where I was looking for a building or a pole barn. And he's like, well, I might have the perfect place. And, uh, and so I ended up becoming like uh, building mates with him here in Milan. Nice. And so it's been, it's been a crazy ride. Crazy <laughs> That's for sure, man. Holy crap. That's crazy. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Brian, you, you guys have like this uh, intense catalog of tunes, and I know this is going to be a, like a hard question to ask, but do you have any like favorites that you just love to play? I do, but I just realized that I, I didn't finish on what happened with Fan Jam this past weekend. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the Fan Jam was born at my, my building in Hazel Park, and then it kind of went away. And then last year, here at my building in Milan, which is why I brought that up, my girl and I decorated the practice area in my building for like two weeks with... <laughs> all the Halloween props that we take to all these stage yeah. shows and a bunch of Christmas stuff. Cause like Halloween's my jam and Christmas is hers. <laughs> we spent two weeks decking this place out and we decided, you know what, we're going to resurrect the fan jam and do it here last December. And uh, then we start hearing stories about this ice storm that was going to happen and it's getting closer and closer. And the ice storm is gonna happen like the the weatherman's not gonna be wrong <laughs> right right and sure enough it's getting closer and the next thing you know five four or five days before the fan jam was supposed to happen here rob's wife andrea had a massive heart attack oh man and we were like oh no uh well we can't have a halloween fan yeah. jam without halloween right and i had asked chris buchek who was our backup if he would come out and do it well, originally it was going to be Chris and Rob 
you know, taking Tag turns. Yeah. And I think Chris didn't want to do it with Rob. So he told me that he was going to be out of town on vacation, which I kind of checked around and I don't think he went on vacation. I think he just <laughs> didn't want to do, do it. it. Yeah. So Johnny V who was playing with my cover band, I was like, Johnny, can you hurry up and learn like at least five Halloween songs? Yeah. So he crammed and he learned a bunch of songs. And, uh, and so we were going to do it. And then the ice storm happened. <laughs> we had a hundred people. We put out an invite for like 50 people and a hundred people signed up. And I'm like, well, the heat doesn't work over there. At least if there's a hundred people, it'll be, it'll warm. be warm. <laughs> um, But so it didn't happen. And then because Johnny learned those songs, we did a benefit for Jeff Davey, who basically ran uh, the Emerald and uh, Freedom Hill and uh, like a bunch of Joe Neport venues. Uh -huh. um, and he had some health issues, so we did a benefit for him. It was a freebie. We, we only did like a handful of songs on a Sunday like earlier this year that was another show that we did besides going to german in fact it was before german and uh and since johnny learned these songs for the fan jam i was like dude you just want to come and play them at this benefit like yeah. we're not getting paid but you took the time to learn a song come do it so i announced that we were doing this benefit for jeff davy and i put it on facebook well i hadn't said anything to chris buchak and chris read it and he goes i can't believe you guys you know, like, uh, what am I, chopped liver? Like, I'm <laughs> oh, a backup drummer, and I've been playing with the band for the last couple of years, and screw you guys, you know. Oh, that's a Don't bar. Don't call me again. I'll never be there. And I'm like, dude, like, we're just throwing uh, this guy a bone. Like, yeah. we're not replacing you. But by then, there was it, blood in the water, and it, yeah. it was fucked up. So. Yeah. Now Johnny's the backup, you know. Because <laughs> And the whole reason for that is because Rob knees yeah. knee surgery so anyway so fast forward to this year george is now uh, a partner out at the richmond rock room which is just this loft over top of a construction company and he said well since we didn't get to do fan jam last year let's do it out there and the reason it became two days is because they have a strict um uh occupancy rule oh, there right how many people right can only have 49 people including the band and crew and and oh. the people that are working there so we could only invite like 20 or 25 people yeah and so we did friday and saturday and you know uh true to form for halloween we ended up having some technical problems because they hadn't fired up the pa system and uh tj's dad tony brought out his digital board and tried to mix it with their older uh, amps and cabinets and I mean we got through it but there were some technical issues and then some people that had won tickets didn't show up because the COVID bug and the yeah. flu and everything else is going around and so so it was a nice little intimate thing I think if you check my Facebook page I put a list of all the songs that we did over the yeah, two days. Yeah, saw that. Yeah, it wasn't quite the four-hour thing that we did with Rob back in uh, in his park, but we got through a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, and, for and sure. People that showed up dug it, you know, because it was special for them. Yeah, so, that's awesome. Okay, now, favorite song. Yeah, favorite song. Drifting through the blood <laughs> territory. That's like one of my very favorites. Um, I still love what a nice place. I love Tales from the Crypt. Um, I love Wake Up Screaming and Angel of Evil off of the Evil Pieces EP. Yeah. I think that's my top five. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, uh, so, so Brian, like, um, I know you mentioned like doing that, uh, that cable show. Did you ever do anything else with that afterward? Like once you came to Detroit, did you ever try to do anything like that again? It's funny because I started to do a show. I, when I moved here, there was no such thing as cable TV, yeah. nothing. The closest <laughs> thing they had was, uh, a service called Metro uh, Metro TV Five, which was a microwave TV service that they sent to apartment buildings, and it had a a, a transmitter on the Renaissance Center downtown, 
Yeah. And they would beam a signal to these apartment buildings and then run to like uh, to like a master antenna system in the apartment buildings. Um, and they could get HBO and a couple of premium services. And uh, and that was it. So I worked for them for a minute. And then uh, I don't know if you're old enough or if they even had it out on the west side or if you've always lived where you're at now. But there was a service that came along after Metro TV called on subscription TV. Yeah. On TV. Yeah. It was that. on channel 20 and it was yeah. a similar type of thing. And I worked for them for a while because there was no cable TV. Yeah. And then as soon as cable started to come to, to the Detroit area, it was uh, Cox communication out of Atlanta, COX Cox. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I ended up working there and I had to start back at the beginning. I'm like, dudes, not only have I been an installer, but I was a tech and I was, I, I went through all the phases, Yeah. but they started me as an installer and the other guys that I worked with, they had no idea because it, it had never been around here before. So I'm doing seven installs before 11 o'clock in the morning. And the other guys that I worked with are struggling to do two in an eight hour day. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all getting mad at me because I'm like like wiping the floor with them. And needless to say, I started moving up there. Same thing. I became a technician. And then I got into the construction end of it because we started in St. Clair Shores and then branched out to uh, Frazier and then all the gross points. In fact, I was in every backyard in those in those cities, all the gross points, St. Clair Shores and Frazier. Um, because I ended up be becoming a construction supervisor and uh, and overseeing the construction of all of those those cities. Yeah. And in the meantime, I brought up the fact that I had done a cable show in New Jersey. And so they built a studio in St. Clair Shores and I started doing a cable show here. And it was right around the time that Howard Stern came to uh, W4 downtown and he was doing the, you know, the wrestling women out in front of the studio so i got in touch with the station and his producer Stephen blum got in touch with me and he wanted to come and do a cable cable show he was all about it yeah and so the very yeah. first night that i got to work with howard stern he excused himself as we were doing prep to start shooting our very first show it was called on the air was the name of the show in in jersey it was jersey's best rock uh -huh. um and he excused himself and when he came back in the room he went over to his producer and he said that something came up an emergency and he had to leave and i was like oh man what the hell you know like i was so geeked to work right. with howard you know right and uh after he left the producer said yeah howard just got some bad news and I thought it was like a death in the family or right. you know, wife was sick or something. No, W4 changed over to country music. <laughs> and he was freaking out, didn't know what he was going to do because he was a shock jock. It doesn't right. work with country. Right. And in fact, him and Podell were there. And so was, uh, so was John O'Leary, like all the big Detroit jocks were all at W4 at the time. Yeah. Uh, John O'Leary had come over from ABX. And uh, so anyway, needless to say, the show never worked with Howard <laughs> because like two weeks later, he was in Washington, D.C. Right. doing another station. And, uh, and I did my show for a little while and I filmed some bands around here. And then I got the back injury that I talked oh, right, about right, happened right. when I was working with cable. And uh, mm -hmm. I ended up in a workman's comp situation and uh, I ended up not working there anymore. I, I couldn't, I couldn't work because yeah. I was hurt Yeah. and we ended up suing them, you know, for my doctor bills. And of course they erased all my tapes from my TV show, everything, oh. all the bands were in because I had gone out and I filmed the almighty strut. Oh, and awesome. I, I, I I filmed, and that was back when uh, when Jack Black was still in the band, uh, the dude with the top hat and yeah, spinning yeah. the cane and everything. And uh, I filmed um, Bolts. That was another band from the East Side. I filmed uh, Bittersweet Alley. Oh, Bittersweet I Alley. Filmed, um, 
I filmed Adrenaline, which became DC Drive. I filmed uh, Sparks, which became Seduced. Oh, man. All those tapes got erased Gone. because we were in a lawsuit with them. They just wiped everything clean. And we had a test before Howard got that phone call. We did a couple of tests with him, uh, shoots with him just oh. reading some copy and all of it. Like they were God. like, fuck you. And they just erased all of my shit. Oh, my God. What so, a- and that was that. And I, you know, I mean, I did a couple of interview cable things but i never got back into the uh you know being a host yeah 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 because i think i remember um maybe seeing you and halloween because didn't doug podell do a show or something yeah yeah we were on the beat several times with podell yeah Yeah. and uh i mean we did a, a show called rock to the top in 1988 which we still have all five camera um shoot reels of that show oh, really? and we also recorded a live album that night with a metro recording studio a 48 track recording did, studio did that and ever get released uh, it never got released that's with rick and bill oh man we did the whole Don't metal with evil album and like five bonus tracks and um it was going to be called don't metal with evil live and uh it never got released right now um the audio reels are in a studio being burned and digitized and we converted the video to digital. Yeah. And so we're hoping that, uh, once we finalize the deal, we're trying to finalize the deal with Jason Hartless's record label. Okay. And we're hoping that if that goes through and everything's smooth, that he'll put out this previously unreleased thing and our new album that we've been working on awesome. for several years. Awesome, man. That'd be cool. COVID kind of sidelined that. Yeah, man. Oh, man. That, that that would be awesome. Love to see hear that. Plus the new material sounds like that'll be good too. Very cool. Well, Brian, yeah. I want to thank you so much for being on Bands with Bands. Um, I just have one last question, and that is... Okay. Pineapple or no pineapple on pizza? Well, I'm a pepperoni guy, but I like pineapple, so I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Got any favorite toppings that you like must have when you order a pizza? Pepperoni, ground beef, and, uh, and I, I guess I'll try pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Brian, thanks again. <laughs> cool. Uh, happy holidays, and uh, hopefully I'll see you soon. And thanks a lot. Yeah. Hey, we we didn't talk about you jamming with me for a minute. Oh yeah, that's right. That was fun, dude. I was. Uh, uh, I'll I'll tell you because I've been a a fan of yours for so long. I was super intimidated. I was like, "Fuck, what? I, I'm here with you know Brian from Halloween." <laughs> I was like, "I don't even know what I'm doing here." <laughs> and I don't know if you remember, but. My band opened for Halloween and Flint. Italian, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. When uh, I think Never. that was when uh, No One Gets Out uh, was out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been around the time. Yeah, 90 and 91. But yeah, when we had you come out, it was because uh, Donnie was going through his liver transplant. Yeah. And, uh, and I had just got Jason to come out. And, you know, we weren't sure how that was going to go because he was like 14, 13 or 14. And he was really geeked about playing with Donnie Allen, you know, because of the no one gets out stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and so when you came out, like nothing against you, but like we, we didn't all know the same material, you right. know? <laughs> and so it was just kind of like, Oh, well, what do we do? I think we played Baba O'Reilly by the who. Yeah, we was, did. was one of the things that we tried to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We tried to hack through a few, did. few tunes. And that's when I met, uh, Andy, uh, I I didn't know Andy Furto before. Uh, he came. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I thought you knew all these Ann Arborites. No, I didn't. I didn't know him. Um, you know, I knew Chris, obviously, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know Andy. So yeah, I know. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> it was a good time we'll have to though. Jam together again sometime. Yeah, that would be fun, man. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Brian. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, appreciate sure. it, and. Uh, People can find Halloween on Facebook and uh, 
Um, I'll try to send you a link to my my YouTube channel, which cool. has my acoustic hell project. It has uh, my zoo, uh, BFT's the zoo, which is my Scorpions tribute. It has BFT's DNA, which is my cover band, and then all the Halloween stuff. And I think there's some Siren stuff on there too, from when I was singing with Siren. Oh, really? And I think there's some abandoned stuff. So like my whole history is on it's my not YouTube there. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, cool, man. Thanks. All right. Have a good one. Happy holidays and uh, peace. Many thanks to Brian for joining me in this episode of Fans of Bands. It was a great honor to talk with Brian from the legendary heavy metal horror show Halloween. I've been a fan since 1985 when I picked up their debut, Don't Meddle with Evil. Their music has been a huge influence on me. It was a real treat to learn from Brian how Halloween came to be, get their backstory on recent 40th anniversary shows, and learn about Brian's musical background. Halloween recently reissued their Territory album, which has been remastered for Maximum Ferocity by T.J. Richardson, who plays guitar for Halloween. This remastered album is fantastic. You can get your copy today. See the show notes for all the details and links bands are nothing without you the fans purchasing music and merchandise is critical to their survival if you can help out your favorite bands please do if you're in michigan consider following the playing in detroit area tonight and se for southeast michigan music facebook pages they are fantastic places for fans and bands to support each other and share our combined love of music thank you all so much for listening Be sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast service to get each and every episode of Fans with Bands. Spread the word by rating the show, telling your friends, telling your neighbors, telling your family, telling your priest, tell everyone, and leave a comment. We want to hear what you think. You can keep in touch by following us on social media. This is a Life in Michigan production. Until next time, be well and kick out the jam.